Okay, we're trying this one more time. Can you guys hear me okay? It sounds fine to me. With no echo. With no echo. Anyone? Yes, I, I can hear you with no echo. Wonderful. You can hear. Oh my, okay. Hey, everybody. And I'm gonna record this as well. So we're gonna get started. Thank you everyone for joining Modern Compassionate Care and Sarah Rose Botanicals. Sorry for the little hiccup there, but this is our first lunch break live. Um, and we chose this topic because we work with caregivers very closely in our respective professions. Um, they, they have an incredibly important role in our society, but they're often struggling. Um, with, you know, financial responsibilities, emotional exhaustion, uh, multiple people, you know, needing them, and they often put themselves last. Um, it's what, you know, we see very often, and so we wanted to do this because caregivers we see, um, and as medical and health professionals, we also um, are caregivers. So we wanted to take the time to address this issue having to do with caregiver stress and burnout and how we can cultivate resilience and implement self-care strategies to try to address and prevent those um, signs of burnout that are so common in up to 60%, 62% of caregivers reported having experienced um, significant burnout at one point or another. So let us first introduce ourselves. I'm Katie Sullivan. I am a family nurse practitioner and a medical cannabis specialist and one of the co-founders of Modern Compassionate Care. Um, I'll pass you over to the other one. Hi, I am S. I am a licensed clinical professional counselor in Illinois and I founded Modern Compassionate Care with Katie. And Sarah. Thank you. Just making sure I'm unmuted. And also, Beth, before we get further into the conversation, I just want to let you know it's just a little bit hard to hear you. So I'm not sure. Um, but I just wanted to put that out there. That's much better. Thanks. Thank um, you. Sure, of course. Hi, everyone. My name's Sarah Rose. Uh, Sarah Sykes Goldsmith is my full name. And I'm so happy to be joining the Modern Compassionate Care team today. I'm a health coach and I've also had a long um, health journey myself, as I trust everybody in this room uh, has, has a personal connection to. And um, I'm very passionate about sharing accessible tools and strategies for people to draw support from throughout their day, throughout their life, to be able to show up to not only their responsibilities, but also you know, having some energy for themselves as well. So that's kind of my orientation. Um, caregivers are so important. and. Um, I won't ramble on too much about that right now. I'd love for Katie to continue to lead the conversation, but I did want to take a moment to thank Tanya for sharing uh, in the chat. And we'd love for this to be an open space for everyone to um, you know, share how this topic is personal to them, to put any questions, and we will make sure to address um, everything that you share with us as much as possible. So thanks again for having me. And I'm just looking at Tanya's comment too. Tanya, I'm so glad you were able to join us. I know you are incredibly busy. Um, and you just shared with all of us that you not only are a caregiver in your role as a nurse, but you're a caregiver for a family member. And, um, you know, I, I really 
I, I really feel you in that. Um, that is how I got into nursing myself. Uh, you know, my just a little background, you know, for us to go around letting you know, we are caregivers in our own lives. So that's another reason why we're doing this, not just to help others, but to help ourselves. So um, I, you know, was a caregiver for my late husband before he passed away when I was young and became a nurse um, after that experience because I wanted to help people through illness. But, um, you know, I myself have struggled a little bit with uh, burnout, stress and everything else through my professional and personal roles. Um, Beth, I know you had a similar experience. Would you like to share? Katie and I went through very difficult caregiving experiences at the same time and at both pretty early ages when we were not thinking about taking care of anyone and barely taking care of ourselves. Um, I, at the same time, my mother had a slew of autoimmune illnesses that were extremely debilitating and it was so stressful at that time. I was a young therapist um, and was really just waiting kind of every day for another crisis to happen and juggling, you know, a professional role at the same time and being the only person that could be available to be at the hospital or transport to doctor's appointments. And a lot of folks find themselves in roles that on their own, they'd be happy to have and give to a loved one. But at some point with our culture, the way it is, and how busy it becomes to manage. So um, I don't think any of our roles kind of ever end in one spot and they always have to kind of layer on each other. And um, it's, it's, it's really hard to manage. So Yes, as a caregiving profession and finding myself in the role of caregiver, it's really important to reach out and create a support system for yourself. What about you, Sarah? Do you have any personal experience with caregiving that you want to talk to us about? Sure. Yeah, and these are sometimes big conversations or complex responses, or maybe we've been caregiving in a lot of different ways. Um, I have been in a number of direct service roles and um, have experienced burnout directly. Um, at this time, I was caregiving in the sense of working as a shelter advocate at domestic violence shelter, doing um, hotline crisis work and overnight care. I've also had experience as a medical cannabis caregiver. And that is another aspect of um, my personal experience, uh, also caregiving for family members through some acute health issues and also through grief support around the loss of family members. And the thing that, you know, really comes to me, or excuse me, comes to mind for me around caregiving is the responsibility that we have to ourselves to really draw, draw in support because like Beth said, the caregiving responsibilities don't end and are layered with work and other factors. And so while we may be able to navigate burnout from a um, employment responsibility or a job commitment, we really can't afford or navigate from a burned out position when we're caretaking directly for a family member or a patient or somebody that we're involved in. So it calls um, on a lot of strength for caregivers. And so I would also say that I'm a caregiver to myself. 
um, through that so that I can continue to really show up and, and do my work. And that's where we always forget. <laughs> like even thinking about ourselves as being responsible for the role to ourselves. And I mean, that's, that's kind of where I've failed in the past, you know, and I, and where I've failed, I really do feel like comes along with when I have seen signs that I am starting to get stressed and burnt out, I've responded incorrectly to those signs. And instead of giving myself rest, seeking support, I saw it as a sign that I needed to work harder. Something was wrong with me. Um, You know, there's feelings of guilt, shame that can occur when you have this role and um, you're starting to feel it strain on you. And so, you know, I think the important thing is that we want people to identify this early so that they can take action. So I'm going to attempt again to share my screen. Um, You guys can see I'm not the best at technology, but I think I can do this. I just wanted to put up some warning signs um, that we should just talk about as a, you know, there is only a reminder. one way to learn. There's only one way to learn. Thank you. Try and you fail. Okay, here we go. Please work. Yes. Okay. So, can y'all see this? Okay. Okay. How about this one? So this is. I'm putting us to the side. Um, these are the signs of impending burnout. Okay. So these are the, and these, this is an exhaustive list. So Beth, Sarah Rose, anyone in the chat, please feel free to add something else. This is what I've observed personally and professionally mood changes. You know, you're starting to feel more stressed, more anxious, more down feeling always tired and run down. Even if you get some sleep, you wake up feeling tired again, sleep disturbances. Maybe you're waking up at 3 AM in a panic. That's so common. Um, this one is really me irritability and overreactions. It is. It's true. I, when I see myself doing this, this is a big sign for me because, um, short fuse, it's a short fuse and it's, um, you know, and that I, you know, you tend to feel shame after that when you lose it over something that, you know, you shouldn't, but this is, this is all signs that, you know, your body, your mind is reaching a breaking point. Um, the same thing with feelings of resentment. Now, there's something called compassion fatigue, which professionals experience it, regular caregivers experience it, where you can start feeling resentful or you know, a lack of empathy or compassion for the person you're caring about, not because you're a bad person at all. It's actually a trauma sign. It's a sign of secondary trauma. And so many of the caregivers that I um, have the privilege to work with actually you know, do have PTSD from their caregiving experience and the compassion fatigue, feelings of resentment, um, those things that really bring guilt and shame to people, it's actually a trauma response. So um, the start of this is self-compassion and understanding why we might be reacting certain ways. Um, increased substance use, you know, it's like you're needing, you're needing your wine, you're every single night when you come home from work, you're relying on things to kind of get you out of your situation um, so you can dissociate. Same thing with appetite changes, social withdrawal, you know, things that, you know, a lot of us, you know, when we're caring for other people, we're not doing things for ourselves, not hanging out with friends, not doing the activities we enjoy because we simply don't have the time. But that's a really, really important piece of being able to be a caregiver. So these are the signs of caregiver stress. Next actual burnout. Okay. So burnout is 
a serious situation, you know, I consider this a crisis, complete exhaustion, often with insomnia, you cannot sleep and you are so tired, illness. So many of my caregivers that I see often have autoimmune diseases, um, chronic pain. You know, they just tend to get sick when something's going around, their immune system is impacted. Inability to focus and relax, real emotional dysregulation where you're finding yourself like in this image crying, um, you know, and angry or, you know, not typical you. And people have probably commented if this is happening, you know, and the irritation moves into anger and agitation. You can have thoughts of self-harm or abuse. And this is sometimes where, um, you know, neglect or abuse comes into play in a caregiving situation. And I mean, that is something that happens and it is often a result of burnout. Um, feeling helpless or hopeless, you know, the appetite changes have moved into weight changes. You know, you've dropped a ton of weight, you're not eating. These gain a ton of weight because you can't take care of yourself. Maybe things feel like they're always on the fly. Maybe it's a situation where food is coming into the house because that's one way people do know how to help. And right. sometimes it's not so helpful after a while. Right. Cooking and preparing meals are is time consuming. And if you're tired, sometimes like McDonald's is the easier option. That happens. Um, you know, these other ones, temperature dysregulation, that's again something that I've experienced when I've been really, truly in burnout and nausea is not the only thing, you know, the GI symptoms, upset stomach, IBS, diarrhea, constipation, nausea, even vomiting can be signs of burnout. Um, and then social isolation, you've, you've really lost touch with a lot of people. And, you know, we know this is hard, um, but these are, these are the signs of burnout and stress. So Beth, Sarah Rose, I know I've been talking a lot. Do you have anything to add to this? The I'd like to just take a minute to focus on the middle of the list where we kind of are looking at like emotional dysregulation, anger, agitation, thoughts of abuse. I think it's the hardest for us to talk about and admit, especially when we are the type of person in our family or in our social life to be in a caretaker role, that when we do get to this extreme point of like needing to get help or need like not being able to manage it all, it's often because we've taken on a lot and we don't really see ourselves as someone who gets angry. We don't see ourselves as someone who's lashed out. We don't see ourselves as someone who would be abusive or snap on someone, especially someone who's vulnerable and relying on us for help. But the fact of the matter is it happens a lot and we have to kind of be willing to admit that. And Katie's done a really good job of showing that. And I know you've worked really hard on that. Um, that, that this is something that happens as a parent, I can admit to feeling like overwhelmed by my child's behavior and responding out of really like not knowing what to do else and feeling like pushed to the limit and that's shameful. And it's hard to admit that, especially, you know, like I'm an advocate for child welfare of, you know, like hoping helping parents to maintain safe environments for the kids, but I am, I am capable of losing it too. And so I think it's just really like wanting to open um, a conversation where you feel really angry towards the person you're taking care of, even though they're so vulnerable is really normal. And it is part of when you realize this, this is when you need to like, I also need to be taken care of. And this is a sign. And I just wanted to kind of make sure to help people face that and lessen the feelings of shame and 
recognize that our emotional reactions are signals and they can be gifts. And if we listen to them and work through what we need to give ourselves and what we need to be comfortable asking for, that's the only kind of way through a really painful, difficult experience. Totally. I, you know, and I, and seeing on this too, you know, you being a mental health professional, what, like I said, I consider this to be a crisis. A lot of times people are coming and they're in burnout. What are the steps that they should take? If someone is literally at the brink like this, they're unable to fulfill their duties as a caregiver. They're not able to take care of themselves. Where do they start? Well, that is a great question. I mean, looking towards like the end of the line, it really depends on the circumstance you're in. You know, if you, I'd actually like to start at the beginning of that kind of downward spiral in terms of like, I I really have to focus on like, what are my beliefs about myself and the thoughts I have about situations and maybe the coping skills I have in a crisis that put me in a position of like, I'm, common thoughts I think that caregivers have, like, I'm the only one who can do this right. I'm the only one who can manage all these appointments. I'm the only one who can give dad what he needs. Joe goes, he's not going to ask the nurse the right questions. He's not going to, um, you know, follow through in the right way. I have to be there 24 seven in case a doctor shows up on some ungodly early round. Things like this, these thoughts that we have, these belief systems about our own control and our own you know, effectiveness, which is probably very high in most cases. And that's why we feel this way. But there's also like, what, what question, what belief systems do I have about myself? Like if I ask for help, if I don't do a doctor's appointment, if I don't do something for the person relying on me, I'm being selfish. I have to be there. These, these messages we send to ourselves, and then we create all these behaviors around them. Then that leads to burnout. Really what, 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 what we're tasked to do is kind of look at the whole situation and find the small places where we can let help in. And I think that's a huge thing for caregivers is not being able to access help, ask for help and feel comfortable with that. And I think it's often before it's too late. And then a lot of times that resentment, anger, that, you know, crisis point ends up occurring in some other area of our life. Um, so of course, when you're in a crisis, you absolutely need to call on your support system. You absolutely need to access, you know, other people that can help and then have to let go a little bit of control. Things are not always going to get done perfectly. You're not always going to meet the needs of someone else hundred percent of the time. And sometimes that's actually good for the whole system. Sometimes when you take yourself out of it and other people have to step up, that is a really good lesson for, you know, those, those around you. And sometimes you just have to make peace with the moment that like, I'm in this crisis, there might not be anyone coming to help me. And I will have to give myself an opportunity to come up with another solution tomorrow. I mean, totally. And I think that that's the thing that I, you, you know, instead of looking at it as like all of these things that can, you know, what needs to be done, what can go wrong? It's like, bringing it back down and literally what are the small steps I can take day to day to support myself? 
And, you know, I think that's hard. Yeah. Go ahead, Sarah. Please tell us. (laughs) Absolutely. I just, I just wanted to build on all of that and, um, you know, I'm really appreciating all the different uh, layers to this conversation around caregiving. And I just also wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that um, sometimes even having this conversation brings up a lot of feelings. It could just be feelings in the body. I know I was like, oh, I'm having some responses. So for everyone or anyone who's having stuff come up or just even like noticing the intensity of having this conversation sometimes, just go on ahead and take a nice deep breath for yourself if you'd like to. And I wanted to um, mention kind of two things. This is maybe on the signs of stress leading up to burnout. But one of the things is, um, that that's coming to mind for me is just to shift in how you feel about things in your life. So maybe like something that you used to really enjoy, not enjoying it the same way, or even something that might've been a relaxation and then again, pleasure, not really offering that same relief. So this could be something like that glass of wine or that TV show or that favorite snack or whatever it is that maybe when things were kind of feeling in balance was really adding, adding value for you. Um, But when we start to notice having a different relationship to how we want to socialize or things that we may have once been passionate about, that's a really good time to just notice that some things may be a little bit out of balance because um, balance is uh, enjoyment. Enjoyment in your life is part of that balance. And that can, you know, also just be um, another way to find your, your, your kind of orientation to how things are going as a caregiver. Are you still experiencing joy? And, and if you're not, that's, that's reason enough to check in and start to reset. Um, Another thing that I wanted to share is the way that some of this irritability loop and even um, sense of disconnection can really be um, compounded by hormones and the way that we may or may not be able to feed ourselves. And some of that can start to kind of take on an expression of its own. So when we're maybe feeling like we're not connecting to the people in our lives in a joy-based way anymore, or activities that we once did, and we're wondering what's wrong with us, a lot of it is just that we're physiologically out of balance. So um, the, the sense of shame that maybe goes along with some of those things that Beth was talking about can also be um, attended to through introducing ways to calm your nervous system a little bit so that there can be an opportunity to respond to your life and not just react. And when we're really firing on all levels, it can make it really hard to do that. And that's where sometimes some of those other aspects of ourselves that we feel really conflicted about or questionable towards can 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 be expressed. So I guess I am sharing that to also tie in this whole aspect of how does um, excuse me, tending to and taking care of our nervous system in whatever ways, whether that's exercise or relaxation and rest, um, play a role in how we are um, responding to the stress in our lives and then also the way that that burnout manifests. Absolutely. Um, So 
you know, okay, so we kind of talked about this a little bit. We touched this, but you know, how how do you guys define self-care? And that's something like, please throw it in the comments too. This is hard because, you know, sometimes to me, I'm like calling Starbucks self-care. Um, other times I'm wondering, is caffeine self-care? We were actually just reading about this on the internet, how caffeine can sometimes be a you know, um, an agent that helps us ignore our body's own cues. When we're too tired to work, when we are burnt out, we can use caffeine to break our own boundaries and keep going when maybe we should be paying attention and um, taking rest at that time. So, you know, self-care and, you know, I was looking online actually for definitions. It's been defined so many ways, you know, some very simple, some very, um, I Academic. often found, especially as a young mom, which, you know, is just kind of typical self-care, but feels relentless. And, you know, often people would suggest self-care in like going to sleep, taking a shower, <laughs> basic needs, um, but also other things that were like you did alone. Um, and it's like, I am alone with these kids constantly. Like I being alone sounds like a, a punishment. It doesn't sound like self-care. It sounds like more isolation, like leaving your house and going off, like, you know, what would be self-care would be being in my home without anyone else here. So it, it, it can be different. And I think a lot of times it gets trivialized where self-care, like Sarah Rose was saying earlier, is recognizing yourself as someone who is responsible of taking care of yourself every day and finding those practices and those things that, you know, drinking enough water preparing to eat the right foods, things that when you're in crisis feel really hard and fly out the window. But if you, if you know your crisis is going to be sustained for a long time, structurally building in things that you're still making sure to meet some of those basic needs um, and not turn it into a treat, but turn it into a daily practice. Um, I really like thinking about for my patients, we are always, you know, like what's, you know, if we're talking about you know, our food intake, or if we're meditating or all those things, it can feel a little shame-based maybe that like you're not doing enough. But I always like to think about things as just adding in as opposed to taking away. So add some water every hour and some meditation practice, like not have you check this off your list. Have you done this, you know, or like, have you stopped eating sugar? Like really like, okay, like eat more green instead of take sugar away or something like to that nature, whatever the self-care behavior is that maybe you're struggling to do. It really helps to rethink of it. Yeah, Beth, I think that's such a great and accessible um, approach. Like what are some of the things that you can add in um, and starting? Well, adding in baby goats. In the I know, I'm looking yeah. at the comments too, Tanya. <laughs> and I like this, Yakima and Tanya, I'm with you. I'm a back taker too. And to me, that's like just a very sensory experience that can ha have so many benefits to just calming your nervous system. And it, you know, it's feels great. Change. It's really important. Yeah. I know when I'm in a very dysregulated state too, a little a thing that I've picked up really is putting that ice pack on my chest has been like a total game changer. I do it to my kids now too. And like changing that nervous system dysregulation. Sarah, I'm with you, like kind of discovering the polyvagal theory. I know we nerded out on that when we first met, but um, really kind of understanding your nervous system as being a part of that mind-body connection and attending to those changes and recognizing them right away instead of like hyperactively trying to just like 
read that cue as a go, 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 and to do more, I think is really, really important for people to get in touch with. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, we are in a culture that is to your body. Yeah. Right. And we're praised for not listening to our body. We're praised to, for working beyond our true capacity, you know, and caregivers especially are like, you know, oh, these sainted caregivers, but really, is there a lot of support for them? You know, you're a caregiver and you're in a difficult situation. You have a family member with a severe disability. A lot of times caregivers express to me that, the, you know, when they reach out to try to talk to people about this, they don't necessarily, they can't understand and it makes other people uncomfortable because they are in a really hard situation. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really difficult. It's really difficult, but at the same time, these simple things, just like you guys are saying, you know, setting up some practices of self-care, building blocks can sometimes make a huge difference. And a lot of times, if we truly look at ourselves, that's where we're lacking. We're, we are lacking at the basics. And, um, you know, I don't know. Katie, can you talk a little bit about some of the caregivers you work with in terms of you work with caregivers who are helping their loved ones use cannabis in a medicinal way. Can you talk a little bit about how caregivers could maybe incorporate that into their own totally. experiences and meet their needs? Yeah, well, that's, you know, because I love cannabis, guys, <laughs> let me tell you, I um, do end up recommending this to a lot of the caregivers I work with, or they're already patients when they come to me. Like I mentioned before, a lot of these caregivers are under extreme amounts of chronic stress. They have uh, stress, traumatic stress from their role as a caregiver. Um, you know, they're often living with deep fears about what's happening with their loved one and a real lack of control. I love cannabis as a treatment because there is a lot of autonomy in this. Once you're familiar with the cannabis plant and its different compounds and how you can use it, um, it can be something where you can meet your needs as needed and have an area of your you know, healthcare and treatment that you have a lot of control over. So, um, of course I, I have, so, so that's something considerate. If you're a caregiver, if you're under chronic stress, cannabis can be helpful. I did bring a few things that I would probably suggest. One of these is a product that like, this is not a promotion or anything, but these drops, they're the 1906 bliss drops. They're available here in Illinois. And I think in nationwide, a lot of, you know, if, if it's legal there, these are probably in your state. Um, this is something that is, it has, when we talk about cannabinoids or the properties in cannabis, THC is what causes the high, but it also is great for sleep. It's also great for mood elevation, elevation, muscle relaxation. The other, um, compound that we hear about all the time is CBD. It's not intoxicating. It really does a lot to decrease inflammation, which is a driver in a lot of these stress and autoimmune conditions. It does a lot to increase um, GABA, the calming neurotransmitter in our brain to help us relax. Using them together um, is a great way for people that are new to cannabis or anyone that uses cannabis. I always recommend, this is a, this is a product that's a low dose. It kicks in in 15 minutes. It has five milligrams of each. And it's um, something you know, like I would suggest for a, a new person to uh, help cope with the feelings of chronic stress. And it's not going to you know, get you off your rocker. It's just a, a really nice way to support your endocannabinoid system. You know, and that's, that's throughout our body and our nervous system and our immune cells. It's a great target 
for treating the effects of chronic stress. Um, the other things I kind of recommend are like, okay, you might not want to use THC. That's okay. CBD. These are one of my favorite things. This, my friend sells this at her store, Soul and Wellness. CBD tea, CBD honey, make yourself a nice little cup of tea and sip on it. Um, it is going to help support your nervous system. Additionally, um, same thing, C more CBD, try a tincture just daily. This will really, really help you if you're stressed, if you're having trouble sleeping, if you have digestive issues, anything. Um, and all right, last product. You don't like THC, you're a cop. This doesn't have any THC in it, 0% THC. CBD, melatonin, try it at night. Um, that's something we carry as well at Modern Compassionate Care, the brand Sunny Skies. It's really nice. These are just, yeah, that's why people love them. Um, these are like a cult classic with us. You know, this, there's 0% THC, 25 milligrams of CBD, three milligrams of melatonin. It's a nice non-invasive way to help you get to sleep at night. That's not going to make it so you can't wake up if you need to, um, not going to leave you feeling hungover the next day. Something incorporating something like this into your life, it will help you build nervous system resilience. So that's the end of my plug for cannabis related products. Sorry, guys. But, um, you know, if you're interested, hit us up. This is something that has really benefited a ton of the caregivers that I work with that you'd be surprised how many um, have come back saying it's really, really made an impact in their life. And it ability to start integrating self-care practices sometimes starts with regulating your nervous system. So um, what about this? Okay, so we talk about self-care and this is kind of a segue into that maybe. Self-care gone wrong. Uh, when to call a professional. And uh, Beth, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like when should you, you know, a lot of these self-care, hey, you can do this on your own, everything like that. But when when should you be seeking professional care? Um, yeah, I think, again, I back to our like discussion about things that are considered self-care. I think a lot of times people, you, know, I, you see it all the time, like self-care with your glass of wine, um, self-care in terms of dieting, self-care in terms of exercise. And as a mental health counselor, there's a lot of opportunity to see when good habits can take over and start to um, impede you know, your daily life or maybe cause continue to, or to become a source of stress. So if you're drinking too much, if you're relying on wine, that will also lead to um, not being able to get to sleep as well. Um, you know, that feeling of stress can often cause like an inability to eat. And that can also like for someone who's into, you know, dieting and maybe can take that to an extreme that can kind of put you in a position to now be kind of experiencing some eating disorder like symptoms. So I think that calling a professional is when you are vacillating from these like experiences of, of, of taking care of yourself to experiencing those extreme levels of burnout. Um, and finding it almost impossible to dysregulate or to regulate yourself like on a regular basis. Um, I also think that if you are experiencing associated with your caregiving, like a chronic level of stress, of hypervigilance, of waiting for the next thing to drop and knowing that like it is a constant like feeling of loss of control, it is time to get some support. 
Um, and that support can come in so many ways. I really encourage people these days. There are so many different types of practitioners and therapists. There are people that come from different models and have different trainings. You really can seek out something that you need in this moment. I don't think that every therapist is for every season of life. Sometimes you need like coaching from someone who understands what it's like to have someone who is dying of cancer in your life that you care about and working through managing that stress and managing that grief and kind of finding your way through. That's maybe not the time in your life to map out your internal family systems model and unburden your, you know, typical reactions to things that might be another time in your life. Um, so I think like looking at the plethora of, of different professionals of, around is really important. I know Katie provides, even though she's not a therapist, that her services when she is talking to caregivers or patients about what their experience has been like in the medical community and managing chronic pain and kind of getting like a lot of tests, closed doors and shrugged shoulders is really a painful experience for so many patients and their family that having like a trained nurse practitioner who believes in alternative options available and that it should be client patient led and focused and experienced is really, really curative and healing. So therapy doesn't always have to come not to like unplug myself. <laughs> doesn't always have to be done in the chair in that way. But at the same time, telehealth is widely available. It is easier than ever for me to connect with clients and patients and really coming into it, knowing that you need this particular support can really help you, you know, get it. You need to be able to ask for what you need and assess that and not be afraid to to kind of go find it and invest in yourself and taking those small increments of time, you know, when you can to take care of yourself is, you know, those, again, adding those small habits in can hopefully build that resiliency. So you have the capacity to regulate yourself when things get, when, you know, when the, when the stuff gets thick. Um, totally. And, you know, when I, thinking about that too, like Beth and I, um, we see clients, we have a lot of um, advice for them sometimes. And it's amazing to be able to, you know, give people, sit down with them, talk, have advice. But a lot of times people need day-to-day -day help implementing these self-care strategies into their life. And I really think that's where Sarah Rose comes in um, with what you do. Can you just tell us a little bit about like, who are the, you know, perfect people to seek you out for help? And how can you be a support to caregivers or people that are trying to implement self-care into their lives? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for asking that. And um, I, uh, I will absolutely share a bit about my practice and also just want to say that I think these practices are all really complementary. Um, and while there may be some acute times to seek out a caregiver. It's always a good time, excuse me, not a caregiver, a professional. It's always a good time to have resources on hand. Um, and then maybe like Beth was saying, you know, finding your fit, it may be therapy or it may be introducing a medicinal or herbal product or, you know, some physical therapy or talking to somebody like me. And so I really offer support in, integrating the practices that um, you've identified or that I work with you to, to help identify that would support you. And then really carving out strategies and ways to protect the time to do it and offering some care and self-care 
tools and practices around any disconnect that's coming up between knowing what may be supportive to you and feeling like you deserve to do it or being able to actually do it for whatever reason. Um, I was having a conversation earlier today with somebody around caregiving and how there can also be some codependency there. And sometimes it can be really hard to um, want to give ourselves that extra TLC. So um, there's some tender places that we can talk about, or we can really talk about, hey, you know, I'm having some indigestion and I feel like it's a combination of stress. And we might talk about, okay, well, also, you know, are there some fun ways to add in some fiber um, or, you know, things like that. So uh, my scope of practice can involve uh, some of those conversations around plant medicine, around movement and energetic work, and also around uh, how to have a nutritious life for yourself when you're feeling depleted kind of on all different levels. That's our next topic, fun with fiber. Yeah. <laughs> but fiber is fun. I mean, I like prunes. Um. Yeah, I just did, you know, say something about that too and like tie it in with cannabis, right? There are some of these essentials that really do help us out. So whether it's, you know, something that um, brings your nervous system into a little bit more balance, whether that's working with temperature or introducing something for a little bit of that um, kind of recalibration or... Um, Oh, I just lost my point here. Thinking about cannabis and omegas and omega-3s and fats and the things that we really need to um, support our brain, not just our physical fatigue, but also our, our mental fatigue. And so, um, yeah, fiber, fat, omegas, <laughs> cannabis oils, those I think are all things that are underpinnings of understanding in the ways that we as professionals show up to our, our work as well. So just to put some nutrition into context there. Absolutely. I mean, it's like, it's all about having a toolbox, I think, and places to go when you need help, you know, being able to identify it and then having things you can do. For me, it's lately, I've been listening to Spotify, instrumental healing tone uh, playlists and laying there. And even if it's just for 20 minutes a day, that's something that I can do that like it's sensory. I close my eyes. I, you know, close off that visual input, just listening to the noise, tuning into my body, something like that can be so helpful. So I just, you know, as we're talking about this and kind of, you know, thinking about how you can actually incorporate this into your life. It does not have to be, I have to sign myself up for a class every day at this time. It can literally be the smallest things for yourself, a cup of tea, a walk around the block, um, stretching, which is super important and we should all be doing more of things like that, that, you know, little things that add up and little things that are attainable and achievable, not something that costs money, not something that, you know, is, is even going to take a ton of time, but something that is a practice that, you know, makes you feel good. You know, I, and I, I just think for all caregivers. It's like, we need to give ourselves a hug every day. We really do because, you know, it, you, you are so important in this world. Like I meant that when I said it at the beginning, the role that caregivers play in, in our society is so important and it's undervalued, but the world would fall apart without you. So, you know, 
recognize that too. Katie and I got an opportunity to see Gabor Mate speak last week, which was incredible. Um, and he has a new book out called The Myth of Normal. And um, it's about trauma, illness, and healing in a toxic culture. And he has a whole chapter dedicated to women as the shock absorbers of society and how significantly that was amplified during COVID and, you know, women just taking on their work, taking on homeschool, taking on caregiving in this like highly stressful environment as people became ill and nurses and, you know, that there's just such like a heavy tax and burden that is placed on women being kind of lauded in this role of caregiver. And then it's like, oh, did I sign up for this job? Um, and just what he was looking at in the research, you know, women being um, diagnosed with autoimmune disorders at a rate of nine to one to men, that the levels of MS has increased three times to women to men over the last couple of years. Um, anxiety, mental health conditions, you know, I've always been taught that, oh, that's because women are just better at seeking help and identifying their emotions and I don't know if that's always the whole story, and I'm sure there's some pretty good research around that, but I, I just thinking about that idea is like being a shock absorber and what that does when that's your role in your family, at your job, at, at you know, in your place in this culture and the physical stress and wear and tear that that takes on you is, is immense. And it's little things, you know, it's taking care of somebody's laundry that is no longer able to do that. It's sorting through someone's finances. It's having a child that's not able to participate in relieving childlike activities. Like it's not that easy to have a babysitter if your six-year-old, you know, isn't able to go to bed or function very well without you and has, you know, very high stress re reactions to things. Not so fun to go out when you know that's going on at home, you know, so those are the kind of things that, you know, self-care, it's like, oh, well, you know, find a respite and take care of yourself. It's, it's just, it's not that simple for so many people. And I, I just, I feel deeply like you're saying that like, that there are many of us that are just struggled under, struggling under like a huge weight of significant stress. I, totally. And I mean, I think this is a good time for us to go into questions. So if you guys have any questions, please throw them at us. On Facebook too, we're looking. Um, but I do have a question from one of our patients that submitted to this who couldn't be here. But you know, I think this is a this speaks to your point. Um, this is a this is a mom of a of young kid with autism who um, really does a lot on her own. Um, you know, she's she, she's got a situation where um, you know her husband works very hard and he's away a lot. And so she's doing a lot at home and, you know, they're both stressed. So her question was, how do I find time to practice self-care when I don't have backup for my loved one? And so sort of what you're saying, and I mean, I know right away we can say, you know, as a provider, look into respite care, find those babysitters, like reach out to other people in your circle, you know, other um, caregivers that might want to share the load with you. Those are all things, but Beth, Sarah Rose, or anyone that's out there, do you guys have advice for someone who, like you're saying, like maybe they are not able to get away. Maybe they need some time to themselves, but they don't have it. How in, in that situation, can you make room in your life for self-care? Um, how can she support herself while managing her responsibilities? 
I can speak to that a little bit. Um, first, I want to just reflect something that came up in the chat, which is um, cannabis. So um, one of the things that can be powerful about cannabis is that it's something that can be, um, if set up, used very quickly. So if you are looking to support your nervous system and you're putting some drops under your tongue, that's maybe 90 seconds. Um, if you're stepping outside for exactly a smoke break, even if you're waiting for an onset time, those are quick actions. So just to tie that in with medical cannabis. Um, I also think having some things that you can do without stepping away. So um, one of the tools that I really like to use and explore with clients is breath work. Uh, because of the way that it can support the nervous system, because of how quickly it can be done. And um, I wanted to do a somatic exercise with everyone. I don't think it's the time for it today, but we'll share that, I think, for another time. So, you know, I'll just introduce at your leisure as I'm sharing a few more tips, you know, go on ahead and take three intentional breaths. Um, so, yeah, breath work is one of those things that can be done on the go. Nobody even needs to know that you're doing it. Um, another activity could be doing something like some progressive muscle relaxation. So really clenching up your fists and then letting them go. Doing that maybe with your shoulders and letting it go, your face, something like that. Um, working with temperature. So if you don't have access to an ice pack or you're not able to take 15 minutes, uh, just going into the bathroom and running your wrists under cold water or cold water on the back of your neck or your face if you can't submerge your whole head in water, which could be you know, helpful in more of an acute crisis situation. Yeah. Um, other things would be really checking in with yourself and seeing where you have some choice to make. So while you might not be able to get away, do you have the opportunity to sit? Can you bring some care into even just recognizing that you have the opportunity to make the decision to stand or to sit? And then maybe making that choice, and this could be one of the things you add in, to sit more frequently, just to take a little bit of pressure off of your feet. If you're with somebody who's resting or you do have some downtime, maybe using that for downtime for yourself. So again, something like elevating your feet even just elevating your feet for five or 10 minutes can make a huge difference. But you know what, if you don't have five or 10, maybe you only have two. Um, sometimes, and it really just, you know, depends. So if we were working together, we would do a deeper dive on maybe what's that like five, you know, strategy toolkit where you can do things really quickly. Um, but those are those are some things that um, I think can be nice to do. And then also we mentioned hydration. So uh, even something as simple as carrying a water bottle, which does involve a little bit of a prep at the beginning of the day, but then simply the mindfulness of keeping it close by can also make a huge difference because um, while it seems like, you know, very basic, there's so many times that people might realize they didn't have a glass of water in the morning and now it's 2 p.m. and they haven't had anything to drink. Sure. And most of our body is water. So also just remembering that we need fuel and we need rest and keeping that in mind and using that as a way to make little decisions throughout the day. 
I love that. Those are all such good examples. And it is, it's, you're right. They're simple things, but they are powerful things. So, I mean, I think that's great. And I, I know we're getting to the end here right now. So let's wrap up. I'm going to share my screen again, just to let you guys know where you can find us. So um, when your picture pops up, ladies, give a little, give a little close out of your services. Hang on. Let me see if I can do this again. And as you're transitioning that, I also just wanted to reflect back to Tanya as, you know, thinking about exploring the medical cannabis program, you've, you've got sounds like some resources with where you're already situated and you've got us as resources. So if that's coming up for your family, you know, this, this is something you can explore. And even if it's not the road you decide to go, there can be some empowerment and just having more information. 100%. Tanya, I already DM'd you. I, um, please feel free. Call me. Um, let's talk. And okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Beth. Again, I am Beth. I have a, um, license as a clinical counselor. I have a lot of experience with families, adoption, caregiving, pregnancy, parenting, um, both myself and with my clients. Um, I absolutely love to work with clients that have been really trying to figure out kind of the root causes of what disorders or symptoms end up looking like um, and really getting down beneath all of that to find some relief and better relations um, in their own in their own journeys. And um, I am easy to find here at Modern Compassionate Care. And shoot me an email. Um, you can schedule a free consultation. I also strongly suggest always trying to have a free consultation with a new therapist. It's so much energy to find someone. And the most curative thing we know about therapy is that if you connect with your therapist and you trust them and you feel accepted by them, it sort of doesn't matter what they practice or how that relationship is key. So um, truly only put yourself through therapy if you really are kind of enjoying that relationship and, and, feel, and feel good about it. So I strongly recommend when you do seek out therapy, you, you find a way to get a consultation first. You don't need to give everyone your whole life story and trauma history to decide, you know, you don't, you don't want to date so, or get married. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and Okay, so just say, same here. Um, you know, I am a family nurse practitioner. I'm a medical cannabis specialist. I work here at Modern Compassionate Care with Beth. Um, so I see people to get evaluated and certified for the medical cannabis program. I provide consultations for medical cannabis patients who need, um, you know, more guidance, more support. Uh, you know, dosing regimens, and um, I provide. Collaborative care. So, you know, with uh, with your medical team, um, if you're dealing with cancer, I'm happy to jump right in there and um, join the team, advocate for you as uh, you know your medical cannabis provider. So, um, but if you if you're just interested, if you just have some questions, you you you're not sure yet, same thing. Please give us a call. You know, I'm happy to just talk to you, give you a little information about the program, what it is. Um, and answer any questions you might have. You don't have to make an appointment to just ask some questions. So um, that's me. Find me there. You can book with me right on our website or give us a call and um, I can schedule you in manually. And here's Sarah. Sarah. 
unmuted. Um, thanks again, everyone, for being here. And I want to recognize you all and taking time, even if you're adding this into something that you're already doing or multitasking, to tune into this conversation and to reflect on what self-care is looking like for you these days and maybe where you can bring some attention. Um, I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching services as well as group coaching and classes. So I'm happy to support you in incorporating more wellness um, in combination with talk therapy or in combination with cannabis. Um, this is something that can be really kind of habits-based and uh, tool-based. We don't necessarily have to do a deeper personal dive, but there's also space for that and space for the way that this is part of your spiritual life. In our conversations. Uh, you can reach me on my website. You can send me an email. And also, if you uh, don't have access to that information after today, feel free to reach out to Modern Compassionate Care and they can put me in touch with you. 100%. Definitely. And we also wanted to preview what we're going to do next month. So join us again, same time, last Thursday of the month. Um, we're going to talk about the care of the endocannabinoid system. So we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive into that. Um, you know, that the endocannabinoid system, whether or not you use cannabis is something we all have and something we all should be supporting because that is the system in our body that is communicating to our cells in response to things like stress, pain, it's regulating sleep, appetite, memory. It's so important. Um, and, you know, it's really people don't know enough about it. So that's that's our topic for next month. We hope you can join us. We are so grateful um, to you, those of you who've been able to jump in now, and we are going to put this on our YouTube channel in case um, you know anyone who might be able to catch this later and get something out of it. Thank you guys so, so much. And um, I apologize again for the tech issues. I will work on that this month and next month, you know, I will be better at it. Maybe not perfect, but better. So um, thank you, Sarah. Thank you, thank Beth. You, thank Sarah. you to our guests. Um, please feel free. Again, contact any of us with any of these questions. You know, we're trying to create a community of support for our patients, their caregivers, their families, the community in general. Um, and that's what the point of these conversations are. So if you have any uh, suggestions for a topic that you would like to have us talk about, bring some guests on, please get that info to us too. We, um, we want to make this collaborative. So I hope you guys have a great rest of the day. And like Sarah Rose said, you know, have a glass of water, give a stretch, do a little small act of self-care right now, please. Let's all do that for ourselves. We deserve it. Um, and, uh, we look forward to doing this again next month. Thank you everybody.